Okay, we're live. With me is Associate Professor of the Department of International Relations and Director of the Center of International Studies at Odessa Mechnikov National University in Ukraine, but currently a visiting professor at Tufts, Vladimir Dubovik. Thank you so much for coming. Well, hello, Dan. Good to be here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really great to be able to speak with you face-to-face -face for the first right. time uh, here in the studio in Chicago. I, I really wanted to talk to you because you follow American politics, and we just had midterm elections. Any major takeaways? Yeah, well, that's positive feelings mostly. I mean, uh, we, of course, we in Ukraine, we see this elections as a prism of our interests and uh, Ukrainian interests and ongoing war yeah. and what they mean for the U.S. policy towards Ukraine. So there's only one prism that really interests us. So therefore, we're not really caring too much about many issues that are priority issues to American voters. But uh, what it would it mean for U.S. policy towards Ukraine? And of course, Many people in Ukraine were worrying about uh, some people in a, in, a, in a wing of Republican Party dominated by former President Trump, uh, you know, making all the statements uh, about uh, maybe them blocking the assistance for Ukraine. And that would be a very dangerous uh, development, obviously, because it's a critical lifeline now for Ukraine-American assistance. Uh, and there are so many types of American assistance. So it's, it's, not, it's weapons, first of all, because it's war ongoing, so weapons matter contemporary weapons, technologies, and so on, but also uh, financial assistance for Ukrainian economy to stay afloat on the, surf on the surface and not go down. You know, humanitarian assistance, uh, now assistance with energy sector because it suffers from Russian attacks and missiles and drones and everything. So there's so much at stake for Ukraine. I mean, uh, the war is actually going much better for us than anyone expected when it all started on February 24th. Uh, that's, a, that's a fact, but at the same time, it's still a big war. It was a very strong, deadly enemy who is uh, stronger. You know, it's still asymmetric conflict. You know, they have populations three times larger than Ukraine. They have natural resources that they use to fund the war. Uh, they have nukes too, so we are aware of that. And so therefore, for us to be able to be in a fight in Ukraine, it's, it's extremely important. It's, it's instrumental, it's critical, it's key. Uh, for us to continue to receive American assistance. So when someone said we're giving to Ukraine too much uh, or we are we shouldn't be giving this to Ukraine and why are you even doing this? Are there any American interests involved at all? Uh, Ukraine is a corrupt nation, you know, Ukraine is just bad people, you know, like why would you give them so much money? And it's not working anyway because Ukraine is not winning, uh, Russia will have an upper hand. Why better we don't shoot, you know, push Ukraine a little bit towards negotiations with Russia instead? You know, all these arguments are very dangerous and they're poisoning people's minds. And there are some people, some segment here in the US, uh, where we sit now, who tend to believe it, you know, like, oh, there's a certain logic to it. And therefore, of course, we were scared a little bit and worried. And a lot, tons of interviews I've done with Ukrainian media in recent weeks were focused specifically on that. How serious is the threat? And I was trying to explain there is a threat. Let's not say it's not, there's none. Uh, but at the same time, it's not something that would be immediately changing the, the situation with assistance. I mean, even prior to February to, to November 8th, uh, we, I understood uh, that the Trump wing would not have majority, uh, even maybe in the faction of the Republican Party, let alone in general in House of Representatives. With Senate, it's even, it's even better for us, because in Senate, the Republican Party, you have a lot of uh, traditional uh, Republicans, uh, uh, never Trumpers, before Trumpers, you know, who always thought that Russia is a big threat, 
uh, and now of course they want to punish Russia and support Ukraine. For the last time there was a vote in the Senate uh, on a big uh, package of assistance of 40 billion dollars. Uh, they had 11 votes against uh, against it. Uh, so 11 is a lot, but after all it's about one-tenth of the Senate and it's even a smaller part of, uh, of the faction of Republicans in the Senate. Uh, in the House it's different, and of course it's different type of Republicans, it's, they're, they're Trumpists, you know. So when we're here, people like Benjamin Terry Green, for instance, and some others questioning the very necessity of assistance, you know, that was troubling to us. And, uh, you know, it's one thing uh, when they say, okay, maybe we should refocus the assistance, maybe we should, I don't know, control it better, tighter, you know, we have an inspection team on the ground to see if the weapons we're giving Ukraine is actually going to the... For the, for the right uh, cause, going to the front line, used by Ukrainian military, not going somewhere else. You know, those arguments can be understood, but when someone is like uh, Green saying, you know, we shouldn't be given a penny to Ukrainians, yeah, and then, I mean, that's, that's, that's just wrong. So, of course, to see them failing, uh, it's a big deal. I mean, of course, they might still control even like both chambers of the Congress, but what, what kind of Republicans, that all, all that matters. You know, and what we're seeing today that a lot of people who were close to President Trump, supported by him, uh, they failed dramatically. That's that's a good sign. I mean, of course, some of them made it, uh, both to Senate yeah. and yeah. and the House. But but uh, it's a positive development after all. I mean, uh, it's not that we're playing any partisan games here in the U.S. No, I mean it's always clear for us in Ukraine that we should be working with the country, not particular person or not particular party. And it's always been very important for us to have a consensus, bipartisan consensus in support of Ukraine in the Congress. So we understand that. We're trying to do everything we can in Ukraine not to upset this kind of a delicate equilibrium of consensus within the American Congress. But at the same time, we hear that some people say, yes, let's support Ukraine, and others say, no, let's not do it. So it's obvious what choice for us is. And of course, it's, it's good news for us that they can kind of fail. Yeah, and speaking of consensus, I mean, we don't know yet for sure what the results are, although it's yes. pretty clear that the House is going to be in yes. Republican hands after mm -hmm. all said and done. Uh, the Senate is still too close to call, but the leadership in the Senate, as you were mentioning, is uh, a little more, well, Mitch McConnell says sure. that he criticizes Biden for not providing enough or assistance or, quick, or mm -hmm. quickly enough. Um, so there could be a scenario where, um, even with the Republican-led Congress, with bipartisanship, yeah. that continued support for Ukraine could be passed. Right. Would you like to see the lame duck Congress, though, try mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. you know, pat, yeah. nip that in the bud and, and maybe take care of it before the new Congress is sworn in? Right, right. It's a great question. Before I answer the question, uh, let me also use this opportunity to congratulate Americans with Veterans Day today. Uh, we're taping it on November 11th, so it was a big day in history, a long time ago, obviously over 100 years ago. That was a great war, they called it, at that point of time. A lot of Americans died there too, went to Europe to fight, you know, and uh, initially hesitating, actually. President Wilson was a big uh, supporter of the idea of neutrality, and then he actually joined the war and contributed to the outcome of that war. So it was a big day, of course, uh, uh, in the history. It was a war to end all wars, but unfortunately it didn't work. You know, Second World War, many other wars, and now this ongoing Russian war on Ukraine. And also, uh, I think it's uh, very important for us to understand that uh, we uh, should be probably worrying a little bit about uh, what's going to happen in the coming weeks, as you say, uh, but 
at the same time, a lot of money is already committed. I mean, uh, many of the packages are working, and they're not being, they're not, they would not be reversed, okay? And there is a land lease as well. The, big, the, the, the good thing, the great thing about land lease is that it's basically taken out of control in many ways of the Congress, and it gives a lot of privilege and prerogative to the government, executive government, White House, what to do with sending what kind of weapons send Ukraine and so on. So it's a big deal. And uh, so we're basically, if we're talking about possible troubles uh, in the Congress, uh, with the Trumpist wing maybe trying to slow down uh, more assistance to Ukraine, we're talking about more new packages in the next year, 2023. And we'll, we'll need more of this support, obviously, in Ukraine, because the war is not stopping yet. There's no sign of stopping, even though it's a big day today again. I mean, Kherson is liberated finally, so it's a, it's a great, it's a great day for Ukrainians, obviously, uh, you know, and for us in the south of Ukraine, I'm from the city of Odessa, it's my hometown, so of course, to have, uh, to see Kherson being liberated, it's, it means a lot to us, emotionally and, and uh, practically, you know, in terms of pushing Russians back in the south. Yeah, but, uh, uh, you know, so, so for, the, for the coming weeks, I don't think there will be a big debate in the Congress about Ukraine. But there might be a big debate coming up uh, when the new uh, members of the Congress will sit down, uh, you know, after being elected, which is uh, reasonably soon. And then there will be some debate, and I'm sure that there will be some populists, uh, you know, talking against assisting Ukraine. And then again, of course, there will be this argument that why are we spending time and money on Ukraine when there's so many problems within the country, you know, so there's so much things you need to. Uh, do with this money within the U.S. and we are sending tens of billions to Ukraine and most people in the U.S. wouldn't even know where it is, wouldn't be able to put it in the map. Uh, well, I understand this argument, I mean it's flawed argument, but I understand it and it's working with some people, but frankly this great nation, you know, it's a superpower, still superpower, United, United States, you know, they should be in position uh, to do both, you know, fix things inside, domestically, in economy, socially and so on and help Americans who are hurting and at the same time be a global power and helping countries like Ukraine. And the Russian war in Ukraine matters um, enormously to United States interests, you know, because of the international order, because of the whole principle of sovereignty and territorial integrity that should be upheld, you know, about the international law. Do we want to live in a jungle instead of something where you have some norms and rules? You know, so this is very important question issue for this country, I think. And also Ukraine has been a big ally and friend for US for many years. We are strategic partners. We just last year President Zelensky visited Washington and it was reaffirmed that we actually have strategic partnership. So you don't throw away strategic partners under the bus. That's other thing. So it's it's a matter of uh, how credible is American assistance is globally. You know, and the complicated issue was of course American withdrawal from Afghanistan last year. And people for several months wondered what if something like this happens in, in Ukraine? Will Ukraine crumble and unravel within days like, like Afghanistan did? You know, Afgan Afghanistan President Ghani just got in the plane and left, you know, once he saw Talibs approaching Kabul. But uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky instead stayed, as we know, and he said, I don't need a right, I need ammunition. So, big difference. A lot of difference for this country that matters. Americans like people who fight back. You know, the resilience of Ukrainians, the heroism of Ukrainian armed forces, that's something that brought a lot of sympathy. So it's not just suffering of Ukrainian people, refugees and women with children and internally displaced persons, which creates the goodwill for Ukraine in this country, but it's also the heroism of Ukrainian society and Ukrainian army and military and even political elites 
let's be frank, and we've never been so close with our political elite. I mean, usually there is a government and then there is the rest of society and sometimes some, some gap in between. But right now we've never, never been that close. You know, you actually have an incredible amount of consolidations in Ukraine and hopefully it will sustain as we go forward. So, I mean, uh, I think American support still matters enormously, critically. We understand that. We try not to upset this support and I hope that within this country, you know, if you look at the sociological polls, most Americans still support Ukraine. So that matters. I mean, if you're a politician, you have to somehow, uh, you know, somehow to have a feedback with, uh, with the public opinion. And if you have a feedback, uh, the Americans want to continue to support Ukraine, and that is an important factor. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> people love a winner. Americans love a winner. You mentioned, yeah. uh, you know, the victory, the military victory in Kherson. Yeah. I mean, when when face to face on the ground, the Ukrainian military seems to be able to not only hold their ground but repel the Russians. Unfortunately, they still have yes. you know bombs and, sure. and things they can send over. Yeah. Um, but even people like J.D. Vance just right. won a Senate seat, right. and he famously said he didn't care what happened in Ukraine. Although you you can see someone like him walking back his rhetoric, maybe doing something like you were saying, yeah. listening to his constituencies. Yeah. But do you see, you know, I don't, I can't, I can't begin to uh, dig into his mind and know what, exactly what he's thinking, but do you think that the, uh, do you think it's that the Trump wing is waning or the mm -hmm. influence of Donald Trump mm -hmm. is waning because of public opinion? Or do you think something else is going on? I think it's uh, it's a case to be made that it's raining, you know, and uh, that the fact that Trump keeps silence for several days after midterm elections is already something, because otherwise, of course, he would be feeling that it was a good election for him. Uh, he would be definitely going uh, on the air and boasting, but he's not doing it. I mean, of course, he might do a big speech, uh, so he, as he as he suggested, he will on November 15th and next Tuesday, coming Tuesday, so and still announced his uh, ambition to go and become a president again in 2024. He might do that, uh, even though some people now under current circumstances uh, of this very muted uh, uh, Republican victory in midterms advise him against doing this right now as a background of not very good election results for Republicans. But we'll see. But uh, unfortunately, he's been a negative presence in bilateral relations for a long time. You know, in 2016, you know, he said that Ukrainians are corrupt and they would rather see Clinton being president. But of course, because Hillary Clinton was saying things like, let's support Ukraine. We don't recognize uh, Crimean annexation, for instance. Uh, and Trump was saying, I don't know, maybe Crimea should be part of Russia. You know, what do you, what do you expect if you're Ukrainian? You know, what do you expect Ukrainians to think about those two candidates? And the choice was easy back in 2016 in many ways. So, and then of course, over 2019, when there was this blackmail, you know, and hearings in, in the Congress and Ukraine, unfortunately, was dragged through in the news cycles for months. So, and now he's saying that what he's saying now, and if he becomes the president again in 2024, there'll be another major test of bilateral relations because uh, what assistance we were given when he was in the White House for four years was often given despite him, frankly, uh, because of the, a lot of people, more experienced people in various government agencies. Uh, those people who he derogatively speaks about as a deep state, <laughs> who are the ultimate keepers of this country's national interest, you know, right. because they, they're patriots, they're experts, they've been working on this for decades, and, and they knew it's in American interest to support Ukraine. So, so yes, it was under his administration when Ukraine was started receiving uh, little weapons, that's true. But it's not that he advocated or pushed for it, no, it was other, other people in his administration. 
So, but if he, if he comes back, then he's emboldened. Then uh, he said that he might think that, okay, I said things, Ukraine is bad, let's not support Ukraine. And people uh, voted for me, so maybe I was right, and maybe it's time to actually do away with support. So I would rather see a different candidate, but it's up to Americans, up to Republicans to decide who's going to be running in 2024. Sure. But again, if you ask Ukrainian, uh, you know, probably uh, for us, in, uh, from our standpoint, where from where we stand, of course, it, it would rather not be Trump. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows what's going to happen yes. with that? Yes, it's two years ahead. Of us, it's so. two years ahead yeah. of us. There's, you know, there's rumblings of you know, Ron, a Ron DeSantis candidacy, right. but right. that's that's the difficult thing I think with um, some politicians is sort of trying to decipher, try to break through the noise and kind of get yes. to what the policy is. I mean, even the Democratic Party, right. the the um, the progressive wing, sent a letter, yes. an untimely letter to the president, yes. and then they withdrew it right away about right. Ukraine. Um, so it, it, it almost seems like there's a populist wing of each party, although uh, the Republican populist wing is the one that might be gaining power yeah. in the House yeah. Yeah. coming up. They, they might, they might. I mean, uh, if you look at it, I mean, they will probably increase the numbers in any way in the House, the Trumpist wing. I mean, uh, last time again, there was a major vote. Uh, I mentioned 11 senators, but in the House, it was 57 all Republican votes against support of Ukraine. So that was unfortunate. Uh, well, there will probably be more, even without this uh, midterm elections. If we would have a vote like this, say, a month ago or two months ago, that would be more than 57, I suspect. Uh, but not dramatically more. And with these elections, we'll see how many. And uh, what you mentioned already, actually, is a good point with uh, J.D. Renz, for instance, and some others. There is no like rule uh, for them to follow uh, the sloganeering and promising uh, during the election campaign. They can actually, you know, go back on that, you know. And he said, "Okay, I reassessed. I think we should support Ukraine after all." Uh, it wouldn't be something like unhonest, uh, you know, or dishonest or something like that. Uh, well, it's one thing campaign; it's another thing when you're already in office. It's always been big two two different things, you know. So it's uh, it might happen that some people who were uh, aligning with the Trump swing during elections, assessing that it gives them more chances to get into the Congress, would might actually distance themselves. And some will struggle, like for instance, Congresswoman Victoria Sparks, who was, I understand, re-elected with a big, uh, you know, margin over Democratic uh, opponent in in, in Indiana. Indiana. Uh, you know, but she struggled for months. You know, whether you want to be supporting Ukraine as someone who came from Ukraine who cares about Ukraine, I don't doubt that. But or you want to be loyal to the Trumpist wing, which brought her to the politics, and uh, she was an active in the Tea Party movement even before Trump came to power. And she has a certain loyalty to the Trumpist wing, and that's why she's back re-elected to the House of Representatives. So, so to some of them, it would be a choice, specifically to her. Or also, you mentioned uh, Judy Renzo's it's a high, that's where you have a lot of Ukrainians too. And there's now a lot of soul-searching. And, and, and it's now understood that a lot of Ukrainian-Americans in Ohio actually voted for Judy Renz. So how do you actually have it in you? Like, you, you're Ukrainian-American, you probably care about what happens to Ukraine, right? And at the same time, you're voting for the guy who says, I don't care about Ukraine, I don't give a damn about Ukraine, you know. So it's a, it's a complicated ethical issue and like a dilemma for some, for some people, Ukraine-Americans, I think, in this country. Yeah, well, all politics are local. Yeah, I mean, there are people true. from Ukraine who are now citizens of the United yes. States uh, Marks, in, yeah. or in Illinois. Yeah. I mean, one of the major issues in Illinois, and you know, you might not be aware of this, but mm -hmm. you know, because it's a really local thing, but mm -hmm. the Illinois legislature passed a law uh, having to do with 
uh, getting rid of bail, right. cash bail. And right. what that means is not necessarily that anybody just gets to walk if they're arrested, uh, but rather that they would be assessed by a judge. Now, mm -hmm. politically speaking, that was used by both sides right. as, as a wedge issue. Yes. Right? And so, you know, Americans are certainly concerned about things, and they should be, about things like uh, inflation and public safety and that sort of right. thing. So that kind of, uh, you know, cues into it as well. Yeah, of course. But um, uh, really what, what I wanted to also ask you about was the, something that you mentioned, which was why this fight between Ukraine and Russia is within America's interest, or what, right. what interest does America have in this fight? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll just leave it to you. Sure, sure. Sure, I mentioned several things already. I can add more. What I mentioned already is that uh, uh, international order is something that matters to America. And America actually invested enormous amounts of time and energy and money into upholding this order ever since the end of the Cold War. And before that, actually, during the Cold War times, you know. So, so they have a vested interest in keeping the order intact. Uh, another thing is, of course, Ukraine is a friend. You know, you, you support France, you don't throw them under the bus. So if you start doing it, uh, you know, in Afghanistan and now maybe in Ukraine, maybe some other places, then American uh, influence in the war will, will wane uh, because people would say, okay, Americans promise us support, but one day they will just turn around and go away and they will leave us in a limbo. So that's not what great powers do. You know, credibility matters, reliability matters for American foreign policy especially. Other thing, uh, there is a flow of energy. Uh, coming if through the region into Europe. Europe is after all traditional American allies. You know, we have all sorts of countries in Europe, obviously it's very diverse, but there are many countries that are traditionally American allies. And uh, you know what, uh, it matters what happens to them. Their security, will they be attacked or by, by Russia maybe, should be excluded. Nothing should be excluded. In 2008, when the, on the eve of August war with Georgia, Russia with Georgia, People said it's impossible to imagine that Russian troops will actually go somewhere beyond uh, South, uh, South Ossetia and Abkhazia, but they did. And people said, okay, but Ukraine is a different case. And in 2014, they did go into Crimea and Donbass. But then people said, okay, that's limited military operations, incursions, minor incursions, you know, that it's unthinkable uh, uh, thing would be a uh, massive invasion. And then, of course, in February 21st this year, massive invasion started. So when, when someone says, like, okay, this is not possible, think again. I mean, never say never. I mean, Russia is now ruled by a guy who, first of all, doesn't have any checks and balances on him. Uh, so there's no something that would limiting his influence. He's an ultimate decision maker. He's emperor. He's a king. He, he is the deep you state. Know, yeah, he is, <laughs> yeah, he is one person, deep state, yes. And therefore, if he decides to strike, I don't know, in Baltics or Finland or Poland or Romania, he might. So for America, that matters because after all, there are there are bounding, uh, binding rather uh, duties uh, under the Washington Treaty of 1949 within NATO and many other things, and that's why you're seeing uh, the reinforcement of the eastern flank of the NATO, and so on. So I mean, uh, there are so many things there, so many things, and uh, for this administration, and of course, you don't want to embolden any other authoritarian, authoritarian, belligerent, aggressive regimes around the world. For instance, uh, China is watching closely what's going on, and they're very disappointed in Russia, and they feel uneasy. And I'm taking the, uh, part in the conference here in Chicago, and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, panels there uh, they deal with China, and people see that Chinese are not happy at all with this war they want they want it to end, because after all, you know that's also discouraging to them in the sense of what they're planning to do maybe with Taiwan. 
you know, and to Americans, it's showing that if you support someone against a bigger, more aggressive, more powerful uh, neighbor, uh, there is a chance of success. In case of Ukraine, there is a lot of success with American assistance coming to Ukraine. So if Americans support Taiwan, that would be much more difficult for China to take it over if they decide to do it one day. So, I mean, uh, and, and the list goes on. I mean, it's really a huge issue for America, not just in terms of values, moral values and stuff like that, but also interests, very practical interests, uh, uh, you know, for American uh, global presence and, and American interests in the world, yes. So, so let's talk about the way forward, right? Uh -huh. So sure. maybe we can even yeah. end on, on this topic sure. here. Um, what do you see, obviously you can't predict the future, right. but what do you see as the way forward in this war, in the relationship between Ukraine and the United States, yeah. and, and, and how we should be thinking about whether or not there can be an end to this war? Yeah. No, we should be thinking about the end of the war. I mean, uh, that's, uh, that's the only logical way to do. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, many, time, many years ago, people started thinking like uh, during the war you better keep an eye on how it should end and when it should end and what conditions uh, so we are in Ukraine of course now aware of that uh, and we are on alert and we understand this war is, is, a, is a tragedy to us people dying every day the economy is being destroyed with every day of the war when missiles are flying and hitting infrastructure even if not people if not people are dying then the infrastructure that would take a lot of money and time to restore so it's a very difficult war a lot of people are outside of their homes a lot of people are without working now i mean in my field for instance university higher education uh, you feel it uh, i mean the students and their parents they don't have enough money for to pay tuition for instance right now and we have a decreasing number of people uh, uh, retaining uh, the rate of retaining students within ukrainian universities going down not to mention that some students, primarily the female students, because of martial law, they went to Europe and European universities, and there is a high chance of them staying there and getting their degrees there. So that's detrimental, say, to my field, higher education. But it's similar things happening in other fields of our economy, you know. And uh, and therefore we understand that dragging this war uh, unnaturally, unnecessarily forward for Ukraine is also not a very good solution. But what what's an alternative to give up to surrender? You know, to give up in the, at the moment when there is another sign that the Ukrainian military is capable of liberating more Ukrainian land with Kherson being taken over back and returned to Ukraine. That is also wrong. Not to mention that if you do it, you sign a peace deal prematurely with Putin, you only embolden him for more acts of aggression. You know, he will come again, he will regroup, he will do another round of mobilization in spring, and maybe another round of draft. You know, and he would find the money, he's got the money. You know, so he's struggling now with like chips and so on for the made for the weapons, but he's got the money. He'll find he'll find it. He'll find it. He's finding something in Iran. He's finding something in North Korea. He'll find more with the Iraqi regimes, you know. And uh, so that's dangerous. So for Ukraine, the only way is to go forward, you know, no matter how hard it is and painful it is. And of course, there are major losses on our side as well. I mean, it's not just on the Russian side. You know, it could, couldn't couldn't be otherwise. You know, of course, the Russian losses are amazingly high. But on the Ukrainian side, we're also losing very good guys, you know. So, and it's not like, like we're invincible or Ukrainian military is immortal. Unfortunately, they are none of that two things, and and we are aware of that. But there is no other option. I mean, we need to push. We need to push until there is some kind of a breaking moment in Moscow, uh, you know. And they would say, okay, fine, you know, we're gonna give you this lands back. 
you know, maybe with the exception of Crimea. And then becomes a real like bargaining negotiation moment for us. Mm. Like, what do you do about Crimea? Because frankly, I mean, I can be frank. I mean, I'm not a government person. I'm a, an expert, pretty much my own man. You know, but I can say that, so of course, uh, as it comes to Crimea, which we want to liberate, of course, among other lands, uh, then we would have a most stubborn uh, resistance by Russia. They would throw whatever they have, you know, to, to prevent Ukraine from, from liberating Crimea. But we'll see, we'll see. Of course, now with Kherson falling down, uh, we get closer geographically to Crimea. I mean, of course, there is a lot of Kherson region which is still under their control, but if things go right, uh, and they might, and we hope so, that they will do, uh, then we'll continue to liberate Kherson region at some point of time, we'll come to the administrative waters of Crimea, and then we'll see. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. This has been Ukraine Watch Podcast once again, and this time live in studio. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Dan, for having me. Ukraine Watch Podcast was created and produced by Dan Turlecki in partnership with Chicago's Ukrainian Independent Radio. Please rate and subscribe on your preferred podcast app to help others find the show.